This is a Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand podcast. A welcome to Yokogawa Debunks, a conversation with industry experts to uncover the truth behind myths and misconceptions around the industrial automation and instrumentation space. I'm your host, Sean Carhill, Marketing Manager at Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand, and I thank you for joining us today. Now, in today's episode, we chat to our Product Manager for Process Analyzer Solutions, Nelson Isaiah. Nelson's been with Yokogawa for over four years, and his expertise in process analyzers is unparalleled in the business. Welcome, Nelson. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. So, Nelson, process analyzers are probably one of the most intricate fields in in instrumentation, and and hence it has a propensity to be flooded with misconceptions and and falsities. So today we decided to kick off our chat with gas chromatographs. Many field technicians out there look at gas chromatography and consider it to be a, a bit of black magic. Do you think they're far off the truth? Well, Sean, I've heard this black magic myth before. But chromatography can only be described as black magic in the context of a rather simple science experiment. If you take a strip of absorbent paper and draw a dot in the middle using a black marker, and then you dip it into a glass filled with a a little bit of water, what you'll see there is the black magic that people refer to. As the water rises on the paper due to the capillary effect, when it passes over the dot, then color bands start to appear along the paper. And that, in simple terms, it's uh, liquid chromatography. Turns out that pigments in the black ink uh, have different solubilities in water and they separate from each other at different speeds as the water carries them upwards. It's interesting you put it in that concept. Yeah, I actually remember that experiment from, uh, from when I was at school, yeah, as, as long as ago it may have been. And a uh, very, very good analogy. Yeah, it is also a great analogy to understand chromatography in the gas phase. I mean, the equivalent of the black ink dot, it's a small volume of gas sample or a volatile liquid that you have extracted from a process stream and that you wish to check for composition. The individual pigments in black ink are the equivalent to the unknown components in the sample. And instead of using a strip of paper as separation media, in gas chromatography we use a coil of a small diameter tubing, which is commonly referred to as the column. And that column has been filled up with granules of a solid that is coated with an an adsorbent, AD adsorbent. You see, I said AD adsorbent because people tend to confuse adsorption with absorption, spelled with B. Absorption, removing all these prefixes, it's an umbrella concept that relates to how a component migrates from a phase A, in gas in this case, uh, to phase B, a solid or a liquid. Now, in the case of adsorption with D, this is a surface phenomenon, which is also temperature dependent. And this migration is a temporary thing that occurs at the interface between the two phases. One way of picturing this is imagining moisture in a cold morning condensing onto plant leaves and then evaporating again when when it gets hotter. 
you know that that is sort of in simple also simple terms a way to looking at absorption now this is different to a b absorption because in that case the component in the gas actually mixes fully with the new phase imagine adding salt to a bit of water you know the the new mix is a solution that's formed now in the adsorbent is where the real magic happens so selecting that particular adsorbent for the mix it's where the secret is and it's where the the magic happens but to the black ink example instead of water to transport the ink and the components in the ink in gas chromatographs we require an inert gas typically hydrogen nitrogen or helium and those gases do not react with the components in the sample and then they push the volume through the coil also we cannot rely on colors like in the case of paper but we use other gas properties so as an indication that the sample separated for example the a common property that we use is thermal conductivity Nelson, thanks for explaining that. And look, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some in our audience out there who can uh, go on to repeat that experiment at home. Although I may caution uh, just the paper and ink one, probably uh, not the uh, nitrogen or helium gas one. Um, now, it's clear to me that the principle of gas chromatography has strong roots in chemistry. Um, so this brings me to, uh, to another myth, which we, we quite often hear, which relates to the skills that one requires to operate and service these types of analyzers. True or false, do you think I should have a chemistry degree to be able to understand gas chromatographs? No, Sean, I think this is another myth. Um, you don't need to be a chemist to understand gas chromatographs. It is beneficial to have an understanding of chemistry concepts like composition, concentration, and intermolecular forces to sort of understand what happens inside the analyzer. And to service a gas chromatograph, what you really need is skills that are developed through a combination of formal training and on-the-job training. And, and that training relates more to electromechanics. If you already have a dual trade in instrumentation and electrical, the, the basics are covered. For someone with little experience in, in chromatographs, reading the technical literature relevant to each analyzer is more important than a chemistry degree. Also keeping in contact with the manufacturer for additional resources would help. I, I think you outlined it pretty well there and also some, some of the guidance on it and uh, you know how chromatography works. The trouble is we still get some instrument technicians who say that commercially available gas chromatographs uh, just a little bit too complex to understand. And these are for people who are generally sort of very pressed for time. Um, so do you think there's any, any real truth to, to that complexity? I agree that gas chromatographs demand more dedication than general instrumentation, that's for sure. So there's a little bit of truth in their view. Uh, also, maintaining analysis is, can be a little bit more complex. But like any other skill, uh, practice makes the master. What happens is that process plants have set up a specialized pool of technicians that look after analysis only, or they establish maintenance contracts with third parties. So there are different avenues to servicing complex analysis like these ones. 
If you allow me to make it a little bit easier for those technicians, I can delve into how a typical Yokogawa GCA 1000 works. Look, it's, it's quite simple. Like a small volume of sample is captured in, in a multi-port injection valve that it sits inside the analyzer. That valve is pneumatically switched. When it's in the off position, the GC is isolated from the process. And when it switches on, the small volume that was captured is transported through the coils by the carrier gas. The sample separates and then each component passes through the detectors. And this whole process occurs inside a temperature-controlled enclosure. Then the signal from the detector is computed in the electronics section of the analyzer, which is then converted into a usable output to the DCS, be it in an analog or digital form. But that output is relates to the composition of the sample. And this is a very simplified explanation, of course. So you, you, you referred to a coil of tubing there. In, in, in my understanding, that is a, a, a chromatographic column. You know, my understanding of uh, chromatographic columns is that they seem to be um, a, a general type or a, a, a one column that fits all, do you think, on, on applications? Yes, you're right. I mean, the, the coil is the chromatographic column. Now, to answer your question, it is unlikely that one type fits all of the applications out there. It really depends on the components that you want to analyze. It is common to see a combination of packed columns, like the ones I described earlier with the solids inside. But there are other types. There is another type called the capillary columns. And in that case, the, the smaller in diameter and there is no solid inside, the, uh, the adsorbent is coating the inside wall of the capillary. And, and that's where the adsorption process happens. So these two types are typical good combination of, of columns to address an application. But it's rare to see one or the other or just one type fitting every, every case. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's great because that's actually cleared up a misconception that I had. But, you know, look, looking beyond the column now, I mean, I, I'm assuming that the process uh, doesn't end there at the column. You know, so how does the analyzer actually know the proportions of each chemical in the mix? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, after the columns, I mentioned before that we have detectors. Uh, the most common one is called a uh, Wheatstone Bridge. For those familiar with uh, electrical circuits would know what I'm talking about. But for those who are not familiar, this is just a system of thermistors, four thermistors that are bridged, they're all interconnected. And you can monitor the voltage drop across that uh, circuit. Now, in, in, in those thermistors, two of them are exposed to the gases that are leaving the column, and the other two are always uh, exposed to carrier gas. Now, when the injection valve is in the off position, the, the thermistors are in, in balance, so there is no voltage drop. Now, when the valve turns on and the components have separated in the columns, then the thermistors exposed to the gases coming off the column uh, now change resistance. And as a consequence, there is a voltage drop that occurs there. And we can quantify that voltage drop. And actually, we can plot that against time. And that's what we call the chromatogram. 
You can see that as a series of peaks with different heights and widths. And each peak is a representation of a different component in the sample. And the area on the peak is actually the quantity of the component in the sample. Nelson, that's great. You're, you're actually building a, a, a very good and, and very understandable picture here. But, but I've got another myth for you now, which uh, comes up from time to time, and, and that's that the chromatogram is an inten- instantaneous depiction of gas composition in real time. How do you see that? Sean, this is definitely a common misconception we hear about gas chromatographs. The measurement is, as such, is not instantaneous. There is a time delay between extracting the sample from the process pipe to the analyzer. So obviously the closer the analyzer is to the, to the stream, the quicker the response. Now, but there's also a time that it takes for the sample to split up and fractionate inside. So there is the cycle time. So you need to add those two variables to account for a delay in the analysis. These days we can use advanced process control to sort of correct for that delay and also shorten the time. But it's a constraint that that we need some time to analyze the sample. Okay, so would cycle time be the same as the retention time? Well, retention time is quite specific to the component that you want to analyze in combination with the column you selected and the temperature of the oven and some other variables. So it's very particular to an application and it's different to cycle time because cycle time is a total and retention time is quite specific to each component. There are other things that we look into a chromatogram apart from the retention time and the cycle time. If you look, for example, at the peak shape in a chromatogram, that tells you a lot of information about the health of the analyzer and the health of the analysis. Sometimes the peak can can be tailing or can be fronting, and that uh, is an indication or that might be a cost like a flow of carrier gas isn't enough or there is a, an inefficiency in separation. But in general, all those parameters, so retention time, cycle time, big shape, all of these things we look into for servicing the analyzer. Uh, within different industries and, and different applications within different industries as well, um, you know, there may be a, a consideration that people can standardize to, to one specific type of detector. You know, however, we're going to leave this for um, for part two of our series as uh, gas chromatograph detectors are a topic in themselves, okay? Would you agree? Yes, uh, I agree, Sean. I agree that, you know, detectors deserve another conversation. This was more like an introductory myth-busting uh, conversation, but we can definitely have a, a more in-depth discussions about detectors and, and the misconceptions around them in, in our next episode. So in the meantime, well, I thank you for the time today and I, I look forward to our next chat. No, no, thanks, Nelson. It's been an exceptionally insightful discussion. Uh, so thanks, everybody else, for joining us today. If you'd like to know more about the gas chromatograph GC8000, please get in touch. Or if you have any more misconceptions you're seeking clarifications on, you can contact us in Australia on 
debunks at au.yokogawa.com or if you're in New Zealand on debunks at nz.yokogawa.com. Now, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, uh, please feel free to find us on LinkedIn at Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand and share your favourite episode on your feed. Until next time, see you again soon.